You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. I was raised in the church. Church is filled with all these weird, like, code language types of things. On Easter Sunday, when you come to Easter Sunday, you're supposed to say, He is risen, and then the people respond with, Do you know what it is? He is risen indeed. There's nothing like that for Palm Sunday, though. What are we supposed to say? It is Palm Sunday. It is Palm Sunday indeed. It just doesn't make any sense. What is Palm Sunday? It rolls around once every year, the Sunday before Easter, where we remember a story in the Gospels about Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. The image that you see here was painted in 1491, Of course, this is not the original. I didn't have it shipped over from the Czech Republic. I will be auctioning it off for $1.5 million after the service, though. Any takers? (laughs) But I've always liked this image about the triumphal entry because it shows the expressions on the faces of the people in the crowd. Many artists' depiction of this event don't show that kind of detail, and that's why I like this one. We heard the story just a minute ago when Maravik read it about, uh, from the Gospel of John. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey on a colt. And a giant crowd comes outside of the city to welcome him into the gates of the city. They lay down their cloaks and palm branches in front of him so the donkey can pass over them. And the crowd is shouting in this like charismatic tribal frenzy, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And on the surface, and the way that I've often heard this story taught, is that Jesus is kind of the centerpiece and the focus of the story. But I have always wondered, every time when I read this, if the focus of the story is really intended to be the people in these crowds. Shouting, screaming, praising, dancing, celebrating this king who's going to come into the city and conquer Israel's oppressors. For generations, the people of ancient Israel that make up the crowds in this story have been waiting on the fulfillment of a prophecy from one of their scriptures, the book of Zechariah. The prophet Zechariah says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. He is lowly riding on a donkey. And it is happening like they are in the middle of history. This prophecy is being fulfilled before their very eyes. Finally, their king is here. He is going to save them from their oppressors. They will no longer be under the iron fist of Rome. Rome will no longer rule over them. They will be their own people. Jesus is going to be their king. And the one true God will finally be God. But this never happens. Instead, Jesus enters the city and he's put to death just a few days later. (laughs) What does all of this mean? Rome is not conquered, their king is not installed. Instead, he is crucified. And then he vanishes. Nothing that these crowds expected of Jesus 
ever happened. Not a single thing. Game over, books closed, story finished. The people in these crowds have a very misconstrued pocket of opinions about Jesus. Opinions they have gathered from misinterpretations given to them about their Messiah. The king that they are celebrating and worshiping and shouting for in this triumphal entry is going to be nothing and do nothing and put in place nothing as they are expecting he will. In fact, what he ends up doing and the reason that he came is so opposite of what they think he will be that at his death a few days later, all of the people in these crowds who danced and praised and shouted and celebrated aren't even there at his crucifixion. His followers have been reduced to a very small crowd of people that knew him personally and understood what he was really trying to do. The more that people got to know the real Jesus, and as he explained what he was really here to do, the more people walked away from him because he was not what they expected and he was not the king that they wanted. And it is in this where this text has a lesson to teach to us today. It is in this where we in modernity find ourselves just like the crowds in this story. Because this is exactly how you and I are with Jesus, even thousands of years later. Jesus is not what we expected him to be, and it fills us with doubts, and it fills us with questions. You and I here today have the same propensity of doing with Jesus what these crowds in this Palm Sunday story do with him, abandoning him because of our unanswered questions. Think about all that you believe or don't believe about God today. If you are here and you've been a Christian for a number of years, think of how your faith has evolved or devolved over time. Why has it done those things? Why do you think what you do about God today? Is it not from reading words in the pages of Scripture that don't answer all of your questions, so your unanswered questions drive you onward to gather better information in your quest for answers? Do you need a Jesus that you've got all figured out, one who balances and makes sense on all points, who answers all of your questions? Or do you welcome a Jesus who is ever contradicting what you think about God? I would posit today that the latter, this Jesus who fills us with more questions than answers, who leaves us kind of scratching our heads at the foot of the cross, is the Jesus of Scripture. The Jesus that God wants us to know and love and to model our lives after. We might come to a place of faith initially because it gives us such great certainty. But the fact of the matter is, if you've been in this game for a while, is that eventually wears off. And I think God's will for human beings is really found in a very long journey with him that is filled with questions and doubts that we are ever unraveling about this character, Jesus, who enters into our lives, into the city of us. Jesus arrives for every single one of us as a very misunderstood king, And the entire point of understanding him as he is, 
is to get us to ask honest questions about the God who we will never figure out. That might not be the Jesus that we want, but it is the Jesus that God gives to humanity. Scripture teaches us that what we ought to really celebrate about our king, about Jesus, what we ought to really uh, be moved to lay down the meaningful things in our life for, for him to pass over, what ought to move us to do that are the things that we don't know about him, not the things we know about him. Romans says it this way, is there anyone around who can explain God Anyone smart enough to tell him what to do? Anyone who has done him such a huge favor that God has to ask his advice? Everything comes from him. Everything happens through him. Everything ends up in him. Do you think you can explain God here today with your words? If so, you know what? You're crazy. You've gone round the bend. You're insane. Because this isn't about that. Jesus arrives in this story to a crowd who is certain of what he will do and what he will become and where he will take him. And by the end, they all abandon him because he is not the Jesus that they want him to be. He contradicts their carefully crafted opinions about God. You know, I have been in the, the pastoral game. I've been in, the, in full-time ministry for 17 years now. Um, I've been preaching and giving counsel and leading in this family that we call church for a long time for someone my age. And I have seen a lot of people in my life come and go. People who walk in the doors and they're just in this holy frenzy of wanting more of Jesus and wanting to get involved in all the church programming and wanting to get out into the city and tell people about their faith and convince them that it's the right way to live. I've seen a lot of people come into the church and a lot of people exit the church. I've seen a lot of people fall away. And by fall away, I don't mean that they've committed some kind of horrible sin or something like that. I'm talking about people who at one time loved Jesus, who were committed to his, to his word, to his mission in the earth. And in each of these people that I've seen fall away over the years, some of them my closest friends, I see one trend in, in, that, that just kind of flows through every single one of these human experiences. I've seen that people who eventually gave up on their faith gave up because they plumbed the depths of their questions experientially, emotionally, intellectually. And they came to this conclusion by the end that there, is very, there are very few things we can know about God for absolute sure. That he is so mysterious and yet at the same time so alarmingly simple that it just wasn't enough for them. And... Really what happened with these folks is the only thing that ever spawned any interest in their faith whatsoever was they thought they were going to get some real answers. Their faith for so long, for so many years, was a quest to be certain about the God that they had never been certain about before. And they wanted to speak of that certainty to others. But in the end, they found that such a thing does not exist. The only certainty 
in faith is that the longer that we live, the more uncertain we will be about God. The more he marvels us, not with easy answers, but with difficult questions. And if that's not the Jesus you are pursuing, you aren't pursuing the Palm Sunday Jesus who arrives into our lives to dash our misconceptions and make us scratch our heads in confusion. We say it on our website, if you visit our values page slash values, it's right there at the top of the screen in big bold text, we are a community that is more interested in asking good questions than having right answers. And that's not a carefully market-tested slogan that we use to sound relaxed and casual and malleable in a world of religious rigidity. We actually deeply believe that. That is a statement of strength and a statement of courage. It is the banner that we wave. And in closing today, here is my challenge to us as a community, brothers and sisters, church family. You know, there are only three types of people in this room today. There are those of us in this room who are fully bought in, fully leaning into this, Second group in the room today is a group of us that are on the verge of giving up. We're kind of leaning in and leaning out at the same time. The third group of us in the room today are those who are unconvinced and you're living on the fringes of this community until something fully convinces you that you should be all in. I go through all three of these uh, positions in this spectrum Uh, in different phases of my life, maybe you do too. But here's the thing, regardless of which of these categories you would put yourself in. As human beings, we all have the exact same dilemma, regardless of where we are on this spectrum. We all want certainty. Certainty is why those of us who are all in are all in. Certainty is what those of us who are kind of in and kind of out are clinging to like this, this, this carrot on the stick in front of us that we think if we just keep searching hard enough, we will find the certainty that got us to buy in in the first place. It will eventually be renewed. Certainty is what those of us want who are staying on the fringes until a certain pocket of things culminate and we become fully convinced so we can buy in. And here's what a lot of pastors won't tell you because it doesn't put money in the offering baskets and it doesn't boost church attendance. This will never happen for anyone in this room. You will live out the rest of your life and die with just as many questions as you have today, maybe even more. I think that deserves another... Solid answers about God are like a mirage in the desert. They are an illusion. They are a smokescreen. They are a fantastic adventure in missing the point. The God that is in our midst, who we we sense moving when we're singing and when we're praying, the God who animates worlds and who is animating you, breathing inside of your chest, he invites us to a life of questions not a life of quick, easy answers that we read off of a page because we're so afraid of the world around us. 
God is overjoyed every time our heads explode and we go into robot mode and we say, this does not compute. This love does not compute. There's no way he can love me that much. I cannot understand how God can be so good. God is so happy when we reach these spots and we are sifted down to the dregs of who we are. That's where he wants us to live from. This spot where we reduce to over and over again until it becomes a calm constant within us. Being comfortable with questioning. Being comfortable with transition. Being comfortable with process. God invites us to a faith of uncertainty, as paradoxical as that sounds. It tethers us to him. It makes us more humble people. It removes agenda. It rids the world of something so nasty and awful like Christian empire. It causes us to cling to God like a child in the dark clinging to the leg of a parent. That's where he wants us at all times. This is the God of Scripture. This is the Jesus who rides into our lives on Palm Sunday, knowing that we are singing and shouting and dancing and twirling and celebrating all of the wrong things about him. Could that be what our faith is missing? Could that be what my faith is missing? What would it do to the awful reputation that the church has created for itself in the world if we thought more like this? This reputation that the church has that says that Christianity is all about having an answer for something. It's all about being able to say what is right and what is wrong, who is in, who is out, and why or why not. Everything's black and white. It's so easy. Just open the book and read the answer. What if Christianity isn't about all of that? What if we've got it very mixed up? What if Christians really are no different than anyone else in the world except for who we go to with our questions? What if we're just like everybody else? And the point of all this is about being shaped into people who are good at just suffering well with other people. People who see someone down in a well and they think, well, I'm going to jump down there so I can just sit and be beside this person and help. What if we're just normal people who have the same problems as everyone else, but we are learning as Christians to ever lean into this deep and abiding hope beneath the surface in our lives, and that is the only thing that makes us different. And how we respond to pain, how we respond to suffering, how we are touched by the suffering of others. What if that is what worship is all about? What if that is what prayer is all about? What if that's what we should come here to learn to do better on Sundays? As we leave this place this week and we head toward the clicks to Easter Sunday... I pray that we would look at Jesus very differently. I pray that we would give ourselves a pass when the world around us, and especially when the church around us, starts to pressure us 
with questions like, what do you think on this? Where do you stand on this? Is this right or is this wrong? Is that person going to heaven or is that person going to hell? Is that person in or is that person, is, are they out? What if we could just let those things roll off of us and respond by saying, what can I do for you today? Where can I help you out today? How can I pray for you today? Because this isn't about answers. This is about mystery. And if you've got the mystery all figured out, please come up here and teach next week because I need to, I need to know what the answer is. I pray that we would remember as we traverse around this city this week, brushing up against the crowds, that we are one of them, that we are no better than anyone else, but that we go to another source for our questions. And I pray that we would bring hope by joyfully embracing the mystery of God who is past finding out, that blows our heads into oblivion because he is so big and so good. Let's pray. God, we get so caught up in this this stream, this trajectory, aiming at things. We are taught in the West that if we want something, we set a goal for it, and then we put steps in place to work through to reach that goal. And yet when it comes to faith, we find out that the whole thing breaks down into oblivion when we try to treat you like that, when we try to treat our faith like that. God, would you show us that times of confusion, not knowing where we're headed, not understanding what we fully think about you, would you show us that that is good? Would you show us that asking questions and having doubts is so very good? God, would you help us to relax in the mystery? Would you help us to take joy in process and in unanswered questions? God, shape us into beings more like your son who was open-handed towards everyone except for those who thought they had all the answers. We want to be more like you, Jesus, in your life, in your death, and in your resurrection. And we ask you to work in us, to settle our dust, to untie our knots. We love you. We open our hearts to you today. Amen. Amen. Amen.